Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. My name is Sophie Fouché. I'm going to read Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. The people are bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. All right. Uh, The ironic thing about this now is we're going to dismiss our children. (laughs) Didn't really think through that one. (laughs) Don't run too fast, kids. (laughs) Uh, A number of our young folks are still here, though, and they're always welcome to stay here. There's no obligation to leave uh, as we go. Uh, Yeah, that's funny. I'm still still thinking through that. That Funny transition. You know, it's interesting, as, as uh, Sophie just read that verse, and as we heard Audrey and Christian share earlier, um, one of the questions we often ask, and we've been asking as we've been walking through Mark's gospel together, is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And our, our text this morning um, brings this theme of being childlike to the forefront. And as I was thinking about that, who is Jesus question, um, just based on what we've talked about today already, based on what's already happened in our midst, we see that Jesus is a pursuing God. That uh, Audrey and Christian, as they shared, like they were lost. They had, they had actually moved away from God, the God that they had, had, had been taught about when they were younger. But God didn't leave them in their mess. He pursued them. He met them in their moments of brokenness. And then as Sophie just read in our text for today, God is also a welcoming God, that he welcomes all people, regardless of their age and their ethnicity or anything else. So God is both a pursuing God and a welcoming God. Another question we've been asking as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark is, how do we follow him today? How do we follow him today? And we see the disciples respond to these children being brought to Jesus wrongly. They had some wrong perceptions, and our goal as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark is to to break down some of our own wrong perceptions about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And the third thing, the third question we've been asking is, what are we inviting people into? What are we inviting people into? Um, In the passage we just read, you heard Jesus mention something that was really the centerpiece of his teaching. John's gospel says that if all the things that Jesus said and did were to be recorded, he didn't suppose that all the books in the world could contain them. And so what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Mark's gospel is the one we've been sitting in, is we have what God felt was important for us to know, what was important to be preserved of all the things that Jesus said and did. And so in this passage we just read, Jesus mentions this thing that's the, that's the centerpiece, the most talked about theme in his ministry, and that is the kingdom of God. 
the kingdom of God. You see it mentioned twice here in the passage that was just read. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Say it with me this morning. Say, kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. This teaching was the primary reason that Jesus was seen and still is seen today as a threat. The teaching of Jesus is a threat. Many people receive Jesus as a, as a good historical figure, as a, as a kind, peaceful kind of revolutionary as, as somebody who contains some sort of wisdom. But when he begins to teach about the kingdom of God, he is a threat to almost everybody. To, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, they had built up a religious kingdom. And Jesus was poking holes in that as he went along. And so Jesus was a threat to many religious leaders that had built their own kingdom. Jesus was a threat to political leaders. We remember the story of his birth, that a, a prophesied king was born, and what happened? Genocide, or infanticide at the very least. As the king, Herod, decreed that every child in that area would be killed because he wanted to maintain his authority, his kingship. Jesus was a threat to, to political leaders. And I would say Jesus is equally a threat to any individual who builds up their own kingdom. We could say a house king or a house queen. Each of us who says, I've got this life in my control. This is my kingdom. This is my domain. This is my life. I'm going to run it how I want. And when Jesus comes in and he says, no, there is a better way to live, that is a threat to each and every one of us as well. So Jesus was a threat. His kingdom was a threat. Now, the word kingdom doesn't evoke the same um, thoughts and feelings in our modern world that it probably did in Jesus' time, or at least not in America, because we don't live in a kingdom, do we? We live in a nation. Now, I've actually spent some time in several different countries that had um, monarchies. Uh, I spent some time in the country of Thailand, who has a king. I spent some time in the country of Nepal, who has a king. In fact, I was there in 2000 when the king was assassinated by his own son in the country of Nepal. And I spent some time in England, who has a queen, Queen Elizabeth, who just celebrated 70 years of reigning in England as a queen. But even in those contexts, king and queen today in those countries is still different than in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, kings and kingdoms um, were the normative form of government. They existed, kings and queens existed because of power. Kings weren't elected every four years. Uh, and oftentimes, the only way to remove a king was the same process that got them to kingship in the first place. Violence. Violence in, attains power and kingship, and violence is what would overthrow a kingdom. Now, we don't usually use the, the term kingdom, but the term nation probably resonates more with us. But I think we all get the idea of what a kingdom is, right? Uh, uh, kingdoms have rulers. Kingdoms have citizens. Kingdoms have rules. Kingdoms have defined boundaries, just like our nations do today. So when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, for the original hearers, they would have 
taken what they understood currently about being part of a kingdom, and they would try to imagine what Jesus was speaking of as it related to the kingdom of God. That's pretty difficult (laughs) to take an earthly idea of a kingdom and match it up with this heavenly, this spiritual idea of a kingdom. And we've seen the disciples wrestle with this all along. When Jesus says, hey, I'm the Messiah, but I'm going to die, Peter would have none of that because that's not what kings do. We'll see in a few weeks when Jesus makes a triumphal entry in Jerusalem, it fit the idea of what a king would do, but not in the way he would go about exerting his authority. So back to the text. Uh, These parents, Jesus' teaching, we've seen this before in Mark's gospel, a bunch of people showed up, and these parents, they want their children to be blessed by Jesus. They want some sort of word spoken, some sort of prayer given for their children. And the disciples, what do they do? They're like, no, 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 hold up. We, we can't let you get close to Jesus right now. He's, he's an important man. He's got some important words to share. And it says that Jesus was, as my daughter read, indignant. I was trying to think of a uh, maybe a more uh, current kind of illustration of what it means to be indignant. Some of you probably have a uh, maybe think of your parents when they're really frustrated with you and there's a certain look that your mom got or the certain look that your dad got. Uh, I think of, of a sports commentator who when something silly would, would be discussed or happened in the sports world, he would say, come on, man. Come on, man. And that's just the look, right? That look says it all. You don't need to say anything more. And so Jesus He was basically saying, come on, man. Are you guys serious? Like after all this, you still don't get it? The kingdom of God belongs to these children. And unless you accept God's kingdom with the same simplicity of a child, you're not going to get in it yourself. Now the world views things in terms of who's in and who's out. This is just the way our world is structured. We have borders for a reason, right? To define who who can live here and who doesn't live here. Um, We have clubs. If you belong to a a gym, you have a membership that allows you access to that particular club. People that don't have that can't go in. People are in, people are out. We have political parties that define what we believe and why we believe it and how we'll vote and all those things. We have people that are in and people that are out. This is the way that the world is structured. And so when the disciples uh, are, are here, for Jesus, here with Jesus and he begins to teach, they are thinking in these same types of ways. Who's in, who's out? Who can be close? Who has to be left on the outside? Now, I don't know exactly what they were thinking when the, kids, when the parents began to bring their kids up. Maybe they were thinking that kids aren't worthy to be even be in the same space as Jesus. Culturally speaking, that would be pretty common. Kids are on the lower end of the social rung. Maybe they were just thinking, man, there is too many people, and we need just to keep some buffer space between Jesus and the crowd that came here. Maybe that was it. Or maybe they, and we've already seen clues of this, maybe they were putting themselves in the position where they get to decide who gets to come close to Jesus and who doesn't. Who's in and who's out. We'd seen this uh, just 
about a chapter earlier when they had encountered somebody that was doing ministry that Jesus had told them to do. And they say, hold up. How is this person that's not part of our crew doing these same things? And they went to Jesus and they said, hey, we told them to stop. And he's like, why? Why did you do that? And so the, the disciples are already thinking in these ways. We don't know exactly why they wanted to keep the kids away, but chances are it's probably a combination of these things. And so just like today, we're influenced by our culture. Our culture influences our faith. Church doesn't gather in a, in a vacuum, in a cultural vacuum. So Jesus uses this as a teachable moment. And he says, not only are you guys wrong, <laughs> but God's kingdom is for children also. And you actually have something to learn from them. A major theme in Jesus' ministry is that his invitation to be forgiven, to belong, to know God, his invitation to become part of his kingdom, it is not exclusive. It is not exclusive. Jesus' invitation is for everybody. And why wouldn't it be? If, hum if us as, as humans are created in the image of God and he is coming to restore us in relationship with God, why wouldn't his message, his invitation, be for everybody? Unfortunately, what we've seen in history is the issue that the disciples have is an issue that every generation has had, this idea of being exclusive even with faith even with faith. You know, the, the longer we live, the more we're conditioned by the world that we live in. We're, we're taught things like nothing that is free is worth having. You ever, were you ever taught that? If you, if you don't have to work for it, if, you, if it doesn't cost you something, it is not worth having. Or we're we're taught as Americans, especially, that, that you've got to, if you want something in this life, you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No matter how dire your situation is, no matter how poor you are, how sick you are, you just get up and you work hard and you will accomplish what you need to accomplish. And we teach our kids that you can do anything and that you can be anything. We teach, these are cultural values that we are taught. And, and then as we get older, <laughs> we get more cynical we get more suspicious. We get less trusting. We get less joyful because uh, we've experienced the dark side of humanity. So when Jesus comes with good news, how people respond to it is influenced by what they've already experienced in their life. And that's true of us today as well. How we respond to the good news of Jesus is influenced by what we've already experienced or what we've already been taught how we're to live in this world. So here's Jesus. He's encouraging us. He's encouraging his disciples to go back to a time when their hearts were softer, to go back to childhood. My wife, I had no idea she was going to show that picture of me from 1979. That was the year I was born. Uh, barely, just barely made the 70s. And do you remember that time? Do you remember when you were, maybe not when you were just born, but when you were a child? Do you remember what summers felt like when you were a kid? Like, whew, the, the, the weeks are before me. There's no schedule. There's no agenda. Like, it's going to just be joy, right? That feeling when school gets out. Woo! And as you get older, 
you, summers are just as busy as not summers. They're just a different kind of busy, right? You get a little jaded. You get a little tired. You pack your summers with activities. They're not as restful as they used to be. But can you remember when they were? Can you remember what it, what, what it was like to be young? The posture of being a child again. My, my wife and I, we have four of our own kids, but we've uh, been foster parents for six or seven years now. And most of all of our foster kids have been age two and under. And I love like when a two-year-old begins to, to kind of explore the world around them. I see it here in our church building. Uh, we had, I don't know, like seven babies born last year. Uh, and they're, they're all starting to walk now. And when a, when a little child starts to walk, they view these three steps a lot differently than I do. This, these three steps, this is a mountain. A mountain to be climbed and conquered. And I've seen the, the, the pride in, in some of the kids' uh, faces when they finally make it up onto the stage. It's like, I have arrived. <laughs> and it's amazing. Three steps in perspective to a, to a one-year-old or a two-year-old is pretty stinking tall. It's, it's amazing. Or I see it on Sunday morning when they, they walk in. I see this in some of your faces too, but they see a cookie. <laughs> And a, one single cookie is like the best thing ever. I don't care what else happens at our church gathering on Sunday. I got a cookie. It's amazing. And I was talking about it earlier. You know, I'm turning 43 today, and I don't care, right? But when I turned seven, holy smokes, my birthday was amazing. Because the presents and the party, and I get to pick out my favorite dinner that night. Like, birthdays are the pinnacle of the year when you're a kid. They're amazing. Do you remember that? Do you remember what it meant to have that kind of childlike innocence and trust? And really just simplicity. Simplicity of being a child. One of the things that makes this teaching that Jesus spoke so radical is that we're taught as adults that to get into the most important places, you have to be the most important person. If you want to go to the White House, you have to have accomplished something. You have to be somebody to get that invitation. This, uh, this last couple of weeks, or I think it was a week ago or so, that the Queen's Jubilee, her 70th anniversary, it was all about who was invited and some of who was not invited, right? If you, again, if you're to go to a, an exclusive club or even get into some kind of elite school, the most important places to be are filled with important people. But here is Jesus. He's actually saying the opposite. He says, forget about all that. If you want to be part of the kingdom, become like a child. Children don't have degrees. They don't have world records or positions of power. In God's kingdom nobodies are somebodies. You don't have to have a YouTube channel or be an Instagram influencer to be great, to be valued, to be worthy in the kingdom of God. In this story recorded in John's gospel, there was a very um, known and famous religious leader named Nicodemus. And he had a lot of influence, a lot of power, and he'd worked really hard to get to the position he was in in his society. And to get the influence he had as a religious leader. And the Bible records that Nicodemus wanted to visit and talk with Jesus. It says that he did it by night. because he was I can imagine because he was concerned about his reputation. 
So he went and he began to talk with Jesus. And they had this conversation. And Jesus says to him, he says, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And for somebody like Nicodemus, he's saying, that's, that's like saying starting over. All the things that you've accomplished up to this moment, they're, they're not important. You need to start over. And Nicodemus had a really hard time with this, and he took it literally. He goes, what do you mean? I have to enter into the womb again? What are you talking about? That's not what Jesus meant. And that's not what he means here either with the disciples. He's not saying to be childish. He's saying to be childlike, to pursue that simplicity, that trust, that dependence. One of the challenges for me as a Christian is that I often come to Jesus with so many burdens that I'm already carrying that when I read his word, I naturally read it as a list of things that I have to now do more of. I say, okay, I'm a, and I think this is why some of us don't want to read the Bible, honestly. It's because like, oh, I'm going to see how much I'm failing and how short I'm falling. And so when, we, when I approach the Bible like I approach so many other things in life, I, it ends up becoming another burden on my back to really be good and have faith and have peace. I have to do something more. And that's heavy, isn't it? It's exhausting. If, if life was like this assembly of line of things that we have to do in order to, to really live how we're supposed to live, if that's what it was like, then we go through life thinking that we just have to keep adding, keep getting better, keep taking on more things, so that someday, somehow, we can pull it all together and be complete. We're collecting all of these things throughout life. And meanwhile, we're getting weighed down. So this is the way, if this is the way that we are used to living, we can even hear a teaching like this one to be childlike and actually think Jesus is telling us to add yet another thing, another attribute, so that we can somehow be better Christians. But that is not what he is saying. The kingdom language that Jesus uses is different. And we're so immersed in a toxic ideology, toxic culture, a weighed down life, that we can hear Jesus' words and translate them differently. But Jesus says, if you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to be greatest in the kingdom, then be last, be a servant of all. If you want to overcome your sin, you cut it out. If you want to enter the kingdom, you become like a child. Do you hear what he's saying? He's not saying to add more things. He's saying to trust him more. He's saying to, to serve and to love. So contrary to popular belief, you don't need to pick up yet another religious burden to be included in God's kingdom. It's actually the opposite. You need to just lay it all down. You need to lay it all down. But this still costs something, doesn't it? When Nicodemus was told that he had to be born again, that cost him something. His power and his privilege, his kingdom that he had built for himself. You know, a member of our church family recently told me that he just became a U.S. citizen. Which I thought was pretty cool. And we were talking about what that process was like and 
I admitted that I probably wouldn't be able to pass the citizenship test myself. <laughs> One of the, th- the first things you have to say when you become a citizen is you have to, you have to give an oath. And one of the lines from that oath really made me think about this idea of citizenship. It says this, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. In other words... To become a, 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 a citizen of the United States of America, you have to give something up. You have to lay something down. You have to change your allegiance. And what do we think about when we think about our, our faith today? What Jesus spoke to his disciples is still confrontational. It's still confrontational. It still pokes at the ways that we've been formed in our culture today. We aren't called to be childish, but to be childlike in our faith. This is a call to simplicity, not to complexity. This isn't to say that we don't grow and we don't learn and we aren't formed, but that our starting point is laying it down, laying down our our power, our privilege, laying down our self-centeredness, and trusting Jesus, being dependent on him. And there's a tug-of-war, and you feel it. We all feel it. It's a cultural tug-of-war. It's a self-centered tug-of-war. But Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He wants to take away. He does not want to add to our burdens. So we aren't called to be childish, but we're called to be childlike. Another thing that we see from this text is how we view people, how we see people, it matters. It matters. The the human kingdoms, the human nations of this world, they label people insiders and outsiders. Those that have something to contribute to society and those who don't. But God's kingdom looks at every single person and speaks value and love. No matter what age and stage you're at, no matter what country you're born in, no matter what language you speak, no matter what skin color you have, each one of us is called great in the kingdom of God. Each one of us is valuable and loving. So we're we're challenged today, just as the disciples were, to wrestle with this paradigm of childlike simplicity as it relates to our faith. To view the people around us as inherently valuable and worthy. Not based on what they have done, but on who they are. Whether it's the person at the corner with the sign or the CEO down at the skyscraper in, in Seattle. All are welcome into the kingdom. And so this morning, if you have been burdened, if you, have think, if you think to yourself, um, man, I'm not a good enough Christian, well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the, to the family of God. Welcome to a place where it is not your um, achievements that have given you favor with God. It is his love for you. And so I want to do something this, this um, morning. We're, we're not going to end with a song like we often do. What I want to do is I want to pray a blessing over 
each of you. Jesus, after he received these children, after he rebuked his disciples, come on, man. He said, let them come to me. And then he blessed them. And so I want to pray that same blessing over you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come this morning burdened already, hurt already, depressed already. We feel the weight of so many things. Thank you for reminding us this morning that you don't desire to add another thing to our backs, but you call us to, to give those things up, to walk in freedom. And so this morning, Father, I ask for every person that is here, every person that is online, I pray a blessing on them, Father. I pray that they would know you in such a way that their lives will not be the same. I pray that as they go, as they leave this place, they would know that they are loved by you. Lord, that you would give them peace where they feel like it's hard to find peace. That you would give them rest where rest may be impossible to find. That you would give them joy despite their circumstances. And Father, that they would know and hear your voice. That they would know and that you call them by name. Son and daughter, beloved. Lord, thank you for rescuing and redeeming us. Thank you for calling us into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.com dot church.